Welcome to the second episode of Let's Talk WEM. Uh, this is the podcast series from SIWEM, which keeps you right up to date with current issues in the world of water and environmental management. We talk to key figures across our industry, and we're going to take a deep dive into some of the biggest challenges and topics that we're all facing at the moment. It's really worth saying we're grateful to our series sponsor, Yorkshire Water, for helping us share these conversations and bring this podcast idea to life. I'm Nikki Roach, and I'm the president of SIWEM. And the theme of my presidency, which if you listen to episode one, you'll definitely know by now, is everything is connected. We're already hearing some wonderful links being created between our first topic, advocacy, and what we're going to talk about today, which is flooding, although it's a lot more than flooding. I really hope this series of podcasts helps us explore the opportunities that thinking in a more connected way can create. We're stepping behind the glossy PowerPoints and we're going to hear the real stories about what people are doing right now globally to address some of the biggest issues we face. Climate change and adaptation, improving diversity and inclusion across our sector and reducing our demand for water. And each episode, joining me to give opinions and expert analysis is a guest co-host. And today, to explore the theme of flooding, I'm delighted to be joined by Yorkshire Water's Head of Partnerships and Living With Water Board's General Manager, Lee Picture. Welcome, Lee. Thank you very much, Nikki. Lovely to be here. So, you may recall that at the end of our first episode on advocacy, we said we'd be talking, actually, with the Environment Agency in episode two, all about the response to the 2019 floods. Um, but unfortunately, as we began recording, Storm Christoph had other ideas. And so our guests are leading the National Operational Response Team. But... As everything really is connected, we've done a bit of shuffling and I'm delighted to bring you an equally topical episode here in episode two. We're also talking about flooding, but with a bit of a twist. So we're going to hear all about the Living With Water partnership in this episode. Ideally, we would be on site together today in Hull with Lee as our tour guide, hearing about the work that's being done across the city as part of this really remarkable project and meeting some of the people that are involved. But as here in the UK, we're in a national lockdown and we're not able to do that in person. Instead, Lee's going to take us on a virtual audio tour of Hull. Before we set off on our journey around Hull, Lee, just tell us a little bit about what the Living With Water Partnership is. I guess you have to go back to 2007, Nikki, when we had the, the devastating floods right the way across Yorkshire. But Hull and the, sort of the, the East Riding area were particularly badly hit. And it, it was absolutely tragic. The number of households, uh, the number of businesses that were impacted was just, uh, you know, astronomical. And uh, then, the, then, of course, the impact that has on, on people and uh, the lasting effects of that is, you know, really, really quite serious from a mental health point of view. Straight after that, of course, uh, all of the agencies that have some responsibility for managing water got together, they looked at the learning, they all went back to their organisations and did loads of good stuff, lots of investment in pumping stations, for example, increased capacity in the sewer network, they started to build flood defences. But the problem was even, you know, 10 years on from that, Hull still remained the second biggest flood risk in the whole of the UK for catastrophic flooding. We said we need to do something more and we need to do something different. We've got all of these external challenges that are just going to make that worse. You know, potential over the next 100 years, a metre plus sea level rise. 95% of the city of Hull sits below high tide level. So, you know, you could be sitting there eating tea overnight and actually the tide is above your head. And the reason that for that being is that Hull sits down in this sort of this bowl. To one side, you've got the hills of the wolds uh, of the East Riding. And to the other side, you've got the built up 
flood defences that keep the estuary out of the city. So when it rains, just masses in that bowl. And the way that we get that out at the moment is to pump it generally. You just can't keep building bigger pumping stations. You start to run out of space for bigger sewer systems. What Live With Water is about is adapting ways that are different to what we used to do. So stop using that grey infrastructure, really carbon intensive and energy intensive. And let's start to look at using natural flood risk management and resources. So we stood back in 2017, spent three days. We had about 40 guests from across the world, engineering, education, NGOs, customers. And we looked at what we need to do next. We had about 200 ideas. And over the last three years, we have turned those ideas into a strategy. And we started to make some of those become reality. I'm really mindful that I, you know, I'm here in Yorkshire as well, and I know where Hull is. And you've talked a little bit about the geography of Hull, but for those people that might be listening that um, that haven't yet had the the joy of visiting, give us a bit of a sense of where in the world Hull is and why it's significant. Hull is on the east of Yorkshire. It came about because of the water. It has the Humber Estuary. Twenty percent, in fact, Nikki, of England's land drains via that Humber Estuary. So when you're talking about interconnectivity here, it's huge. Depending on who you talk to, the second or third biggest port in the country yeah handles about 14 percent of the whole of the uk's international trade over 90 percent of the nhs medical supplies come from the city important that we can get transport in and out of that city always so who are we going to go and meet first where are we headed so if i may we're going to just turn our backs for a second on the estuary on the waterfront we're going to go right the way through the city center leave the urban area behind us and out to the eastern suburbs. And already you can see there's a lot more green around here. We're very close to Sutton Park's golf course. Now, Wilberforce College is situated here. It is, uh, I mean, it's, it's changed remarkably in the last couple of years. It needed some TLC. It's had some investment. It's got state-of-the-art facilities and it's become an absolute beacon for the community and a great place to come and learn. And And for me... You know, that doesn't happen by chance. That happens because of the, you know, great leaders looking for opportunities. And Ben Wallace, who we're going to meet now, uh, took on the role of vice principal back in 2018. Ben has a role to reach out to private industry and look for opportunities to take new ideas, new initiatives from inception through to reality. And one of those realities is the Living With Water hub, which is a massive wing of the college today. Oh, Ben, it's lovely to have you here and I'm delighted that you could join us. Tell me a little bit about why Wilberforce Sixth Form College even got involved in, in living with water. I came in just, just having a chat and, 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 you know, how our students could help out with projects. And, and as it went on, we was talking about, you know, a community hub and how, you know, that might inspire a generation, but actually make it in, a, in an area that would have impact and, and, you know, where it's going to have more impact. So that the more urban suburban areas as opposed to the more rural areas where you tend to find a lot of these community spaces but also looking at how young people can play a big part in the future of of making that difference and being the solution to to the issues with with flood risk and flood risk management and and you know through the discussions that we had it's not just the physical changes uh, that have the impact it's also the psychological elements and the change in the mindsets of people you talked about a community hub what are you creating so there's going to be an interactive room we're calling it the wet room so there's there's water will be involved with simulators models and various other other uh, activities going on equivalent to, to four spaces where it's basically set aside for for educational purposes 
flood risk doors, you know, where flood alleviation doors, which can be applied to businesses, houses, so on and so forth, they're going to be fitted as well. So looking at some kind of suds, some soak away areas where it's using natural resources to, to prevent flood alleviation. So, you know, like the planting of trees and water absorbent plants, which again is leading by example. I think it's important that we get the businesses engaged with it, the technology that is behind it as well. And again, that's where through this type of project, that employer engagement can happen, which might then lead to the generation of jobs. And Lee, from your perspective, what's it felt like having that link? Well, here we have a facility, Nikki, at the very heart of an area of Hull, where in the past we just haven't had as much connectivity to the community. It's a place that's going to bring people together to share knowledge and share the learning that can help residents develop tools of how they can prepare and also in the unfortunate circumstances, bounce back from flooding if it were to occur. But I guess for me, it's also a place that will inspire new generations, people that might want to work in this emerging sphere of blue-green engineering. It's a place that allows people to realise that when you see water on the surface, you don't need to fear it anymore, but you can learn to live with it and thrive on it. It's a massively special opportunity. Ben, what a total joy to meet you, even though it's only virtually. I feel like I've almost had a little visit to Wilberforce Sixth Form College. Lee, where are we headed next? OK, so we're going off now to Marfleet Community Centre and we're going to meet Kate MacDonald, who for the last eight years has been a director for Hull and East Riding Time Bank and is now a working board member for the Mutual Aid Network. I'm so excited about this because I'm very passionate about flooding. You know the reason I'm passionate. As a kid myself, I lost my house. I had a home one day. I didn't have one the next day. And I know for a fact that if you've got other things going on in your world, in your family at any one time that you need to focus on, you are just not going to be able to focus on, right, let me put these flood barriers up or let me build this flood plan. And I know Kate shares a very similar passion in terms of why she's really keen on working with Living Water. Welcome, Kate. It's lovely to meet you. It's great to be here. I'm really excited about the conversation ahead. It's a global movement, time banking, and it's exactly what it says on the tin in a way. It's like it's a bank of time. So for every hour someone contributes, they can bank it and get an hour of someone else's time. So it is a practical thing to enable people to save money, but that's just the the tiniest thing. It's enabling us to actually come to a place of helping each other, that shared value that my time's worth the same as your time. We have a very much a systemic viewpoint on an economy that is regenerative and localised and works for everyone. So it's not working for 1% of people, it's working for 100% of people. How are you involved in living with water? I had a, had an interest before in flooding because I was there on the day, you know, that Hull flooded. It was awful, but it was amazing because those of us who were there, we were going getting pillowcases, trying to protect houses. There was something about how, how when we have disasters, mutual aid pops up. We all know what mutual aid is now. So I think the challenge is, is how do we maintain that social capital? How do we allow not allow that to sink back down again? So I, I'm really, you know, I'm now involved in um, the Magic Project, which is a partnership with Living with Water and um, and Sheffield University, and that is all about people co-designing prototypes for dual function rain tanks that enable people to irrigate their 
crops or whatever but that if there's a flood there's some modeling around that about how people could empty those rain tanks in advance that to reduce the surface level water I guess the legacy which we're working on is developing a worker cooperative around designing those prototypes, putting them into the commons, enabling opportunities for people to design something similar in other areas, enabling people to um, feel less helpless and more active. And to be honest, Kate, and you, you know, you've touched on a really important point there for me. The work that Living with Water are doing with Time Bank Colonies Riding is very much about breaking down some of those barriers. So a lot of the research that we've done, even with Hull University, where we've been out and we've interviewed hundreds of people and residents of Hull, what, you know, what they tell us is, yes, we understand there's an accountability there from various different organisations and institutions, but we'd like to know what we can do for ourselves as well. And actually, the way that you build sustainable solutions to reduce flooding, to save water, you do that by building that huge mutual trust. And the thing is, there's this sort of, layer in between these big organizations and our communities time bank feel that for us because they've got the trust they've got they've got ambassadors within the community it just bridges that gap and pulls us all together as one big team it feels like you are talking about people rather than organisations. That's what's really coming across to me and the power of individual personal connection and I loved your description Kate around just the Everyone's hours are, are equal. There's a real power in that, isn't there? Isn't that beautiful? This is a lovely tour of Holly because I just feel like I am, I am learning so much. I haven't been to Hull for a long time, but I feel like I'm almost there. It's um, brilliant. Well, Kate, thank you, and um, best of luck with the rest of the project. We're really grateful to our sponsor, Yorkshire Water, for making it possible to bring you this podcast series. If your organisation would like to find out more about sponsoring future episodes or series of Let's Talk Wem, just go to letstalkwem.siwem.org to get all the information you need. Lee, where are we headed to next? We are going to the very heart of our wonderful city of culture. So we're going to the Guildhall. It is where we've co-located as a Living With Water team. And we are going to meet Martin Budd. So when we talk about climate change, some people might think it's only just become the, the fashionable thing now to talk about. Martin's been working at it for the last two decades. He's currently the climate change manager at Hull City Council. Just more recently, Martin's been much more involved with us in terms of the, the pioneering work we're doing with the City Water Resilience Framework with four other cities across the world globally and we're looking at how water can uh, you can de-risk water from being a shock or a stress to a city. Wow that's an intro isn't it Martin? Let's just start off giving myself and the listeners a bit of a sense of how you got involved in the kind of living with water initiative and, and what your role within it is. Yeah, I think, I mean, the, the city's, I think it, it's a journey into where we are now. It really sort of started with the floods back in 2007 and it's really, well, everything's sort of grown from that one experience, really. I think before then, like most cities, you know, flooding wasn't an issue, you know, for the city, but the extent and the dramatic impact it actually had on the lives of residents in the city and the economy really changed uh, how we sort of started to approach and think about water. And that evolved over over a number of years and it's really the... The Living with Water Partnership really is the, so the culmination of that thinking, really, of, of agencies that have been that were working together in terms of the recovery, and then thinking, well, what do we actually need to do to actually make the city more resilient and and and, and the organisations more resilient? 
And it re- we sort of realised over time, actually, what we needed to do was actually just come together under a partnership, move beyond seeing water as being a problem through flooding, but also what are the opportunities that flooding provides, how much it's part of the culture of the city, because obviously we're a, we're a seaport, so water is integral to our existence and to, and to large parts of our historical economy from the fishing and from the port now, but also looking forward in terms of the challenges that we have aren't just around flooding, but as we're going forward, it's around how we deal with, with less water, with drought and the stresses that are related to that as the climate changes. So it really came from that. And really my involvement has really just been part of the much wider team and partnership of officers within the city council that sort of work with you know with the wider partnership with with Yorkshire Water and the other partners around that. What does that mean in practice because it, you've touched on you know one or two moderately big topics there haven't you like drought and flooding and as you say economically water is really critical to hold. I suppose that the, the greatest thing really has been the the way that the the partnership has come together as a partnership that everybody sort of has much greater and closer conversations with each other around it so instead of that kind of silo thinking around, well, how does it affect our bits that we're responsible for? Is that, well, how does it actually interact with other people? And um, we had um, sort of those tough mudder kind of things that we actually had in the city centre. That enabled us to really sort of have a conversation with people about water that was completely different to anything that you, you would normally do. And each of these sort of obstacles, there were different stalls discussing different elements of, of water relationship and that kind of thing. So it was, it made it into a fun family event. I think that's it. I think there's a... There's a danger when we talk about flooding and about drought that it becomes very depressing. And so you've got to make it that actually it's not a hopeless situation. There are things that we can do, the things that we are doing, you know, significant investment within the city to protect the city from rising sea levels and from, and from flooding. Um, but even so, there's still things that, you know, we can't stop it. But how are we better prepared? I think that's a key thing as well, is actually giving people confidence that actually when you talk about water, you can talk about it in a positive way. Do you know what's interesting? I I don't know about your reflections, Lee, but mine, you know, we've just come from talking to Kate MacDonald and she used the word fear. You don't hear the word fear used very often at work. So to hear it used twice in a matter of like 10 minutes is fascinating. And she talked again about that. How do you move people from being frightened about something and feeling helpless to feeling like they see something, the very same thing as an opportunity and something that they can do something about and take action to. Lee, did you want to come uh, in? Yeah, I just wondered about it. Just know in terms of water and flooding and how that then, by trying to reduce the risk of that, supports with other parts of the climate change strategy and what that then does for Hull as an area. I think one thing for us, particularly around nature-based solutions, there is a lot more work that, that we need to do around our open spaces of do water storage within open spaces that, and then use the earth that, to create the, the ponds and the swales and use that to raise sports pitches so they don't get flooded so sports events continue to happen with all the health benefits that are linked into that. Um, so I think that's it. And we know there are much more opportunities that we can do in terms of how we manage our open spaces, how we develop green space. Because for us, it's not only does that provide a water benefit in terms of where it helps to manage water in a more natural way, but it has carbon sequestration benefits in terms of storing carbon as well. And obviously, a lot of the flood mitigation work that we're doing involves just pouring lots of concrete into the ground, which has a huge embedded carbon. So how do we as a city enable not only the flood prevention, but if we look at the constant, the carbon emissions associated with that work, how can we ensure that actually offset within the city? So how can we use that to enhance 
our green areas, our carbon sequestration areas for the wider health benefits as well. And I think that's a key thing. It, it's, it is all circular. People talk about nature-based solutions and, and they sound brilliant, but it's wonderful to hear actually it being deployed. And, and you're absolutely right, those ancillary benefits, the psychological impact of knowing when it rains, it doesn't mean that football or hockey is always going to be cancelled. You know, I get, you, you can just start to see it's just a positive reinforcement of, of all of that. What's your biggest sort of takeaway? What's your biggest lesson learned from where you're up to so far with the Living With Water partnership that you might want to share with listeners for them to reflect on in their own organisations? I think the biggest thing for us is to, is to talk into each other. I think it's just having those, you know, formalising those ad hoc conversations into a partnership that says, actually, this is an issue. How do we address this collectively? Have a Living With Water in every city the benefits of that are, are key. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us. That's great. Thank you very much for inviting me. Well, it would have definitely been wonderful to be there in person, but as it wasn't possible, I think you did an excellent job of being a virtual tour guide, Lee, so thank you so much. Thank you, Lee. <laughs> We've heard from Ben and from Kate and from Martin and all from you know different organisations. What are some of your reflections from what you've heard from them all? So, so I guess I take a lot of heart from today, Nikki, because... Living with Water originally felt like it was set up with that primary objective, which is to reduce flood risk. To reduce flood risk, you need to work with the communities. They understand their area the best. And I think speaking to people like Kate, you really got that sense of how communities want tools to help themselves and help each other and not feel helpless. The other thing for me is it is all about improving place. So great reducing flood risk. But if you can do that in a way that actually makes the natural environment look much nicer, make it a place where people want to be, where people want to live, where people can go for walks, that's absolutely amazing. And actually what, what we saw from talking to Ben in particular is how going in and putting in a small amount of investment actually can just totally transform a building and make that an absolute beacon for the community. And all of those three things, reducing risk, building community resilience, improving place, ultimately helps increase economic regeneration. Uh, and I guess finally, it's about sharing knowledge. And that, that's where we bring Martin into this. So we are learning loads in terms of the, the work Martin's already done on climate change. But we are sharing information with other cities. That is then feeding back into strategies for the local authorities that then helps them to, to think about their future city and how it can absolutely thrive under the current and future circumstances. So it's been a great day. Lee, time has utterly flown and we're already at the end of episode two. But before we go, uh, there's a little thing that I'm ending every episode with. And as I mentioned before, the theme of my presidency is everything is connected. And so I'm trying to weave a path between each of our episodes, sort of six degrees of separation style. So the next episode is called Pride. We're heading over to Melbourne and we're speaking with Yarra Valley Water and we're speaking to Brendan Moore and Jackie Moon who have set up Pride in Water which is an extraordinary initiative started off in Yarra Valley. It's now becoming a national initiative across Australia to improve LGBTQ plus inclusion within the sector and I'm going to be joined by a fabulous co-host as well so Leela Thompson who's the CEO of British Water is joining me. So that's where we're heading next are there any links that you think you can make from living with water to Pride and Yarra Valley Water in Australia? William Wilberforce come from a hole and he was the parliamentary campaigner and headed up 
the whole piece for 20 years around the abolition of slavery, not just here, but then ultimately across the whole of the British Empire. So Hull is uh, very much, for me, a bold, radical, free-thinking place. And uh, it is amazing to hear of the progress that's being made just in that tiny bit that you've just told me about Melbourne and what they're doing out there, because that is absolutely what our world is about. It's about everybody. Yeah, yeah, totally. Brilliantly. Thank you so much. Brilliant links to make. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. Stay safe and we'll see you next time. Let's Talk Wem is produced by Bulb. B-W-L-B, Bulb. The best ideas, the strongest content.